0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at NorrisFerryChurch.org
1: Father God, we pray that that's true of us as a people. Lord, that our rede- your redeeming love Father, would be our theme, would be how we live, or that we would live in a way that would honor you. Lord, we pray this morning that as we Come to your word, Father. So we're studying on the clarity of God's word. Is this God's word? Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear the truth of the scripture. Lord, that we would see this as an encounter with our Creator, the one who has given us this book, the Bible. Lord, I pray. Lord, that we would be humbled to be in the presence of our King and our Lord. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your word that teaches us. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who has given us hope. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you. Please be seated. Hope everybody's having a good summer. As you know, this summer we're doing a little different series. We're working on a a study about God's Word, learning different doctrines or attributes of God's Word. And as we go through the summer, we're trying to encourage each other to memorize some of God's Word. And if you're over 40, that's a scary, daunting task as the memory starts to get more challenged and challenged. But you can do this, 10 verses and and they're pretty straightforward verses. And I, I did a uh, with Jeff Howard and some other guys. We used to meet for lunch many, many years ago. We did the Navigator's topical memory system, and it said to memorize verses by starting out by saying the the reference Isaiah one nineteen eleven, and then stating the the verse. Uh, Your word, I have have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, Isaiah 119.11. So let's do that together, the one I just did. Isaiah 119.11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, Isaiah 119.11. That's what I meant. I told you I'm over 40. Psalm 119.11, you get it. And then on top of that, Jeff and I, we learned them, I think, in King James. And so half these, I'm like, they're, die, thus. And I'm like, well, that's not what it says. And so there's no telling what's going on up here, but I'm trying, all right? And uh, as we study God's Word, we're trying to hide the Word in our heart because we see the value of knowing and applying and living God's word. And so I want to encourage you to do that this summer with us. If you don't know how to get it, there's usually some on paper out here. Kenny McBroom chewed us out this morning. He said, I wish you had told me that these were going to be on paper because I handwrote all these verses. I said, I am so sorry that we made you write God's word, Kenny. <laughs> and so uh, I think they're out there. They're on the website where you normally get our study guide. All those same locations you should have a copy of. These verses, these 10 verses, Uh, Scripture Typer is an app on the phone. I I get notifications when you sign up. A lot of you are signing up. So that's awesome. I hope you're finding that helpful. It's really cool. It'll also prompt you, hey, you should review your verses. And so uh, it's a really good time of learning God's Word together, storing it up in our heart over this summer. So uh, let's keep doing that together. Now, today we're talking about the clarity of God's Word. So let me review where we've been. The first uh, study was, how did we get God's Word? How did God give His Word to His people? And then how do we know that what we have in this leather-bound copy, how do we know that this is a trustworthy copy of what was considered God's Word. And if you missed that, I know a lot of us are out a lot over the summer for vacations. They're on our website. Go and, and see. I think that that's one of the most critical foundational studies that you can do is just listen to that 50-minute to that, uh, message. Sorry. Listen to that 50-minute message, and it is all about confidence that this really is God's Word. Because once you grasp that, man, the implications are incredible. If this is God's word, really, if this is God's word, what are we going to do with that? Well, last week we saw that it meant that this carried the authority of God, that if God's word is God's word, then it carries God's authority with it when we read it. That means that we don't decide what part we like and what part we keep, and when it challenges us or rebukes us, we don't get to say, eh, except for that part. It's God's word, God's authority. We sit under it. It has authority over us. Not literally, but figuratively. We submit to the word of God... It has authority over our lives. We don't sit over the word of God and decide what parts we like and don't like. So it has God's authority. In that positive sense, it sets us free to enjoy the life that God has for us. We talk about it as enjoy and experience the blessed life of faithfulness. Now, that doesn't mean you get everything you want and you get a Cadillac to go with it. It just means that you get to experience the path that God wants for your life. And trust me, that's the best path for your life. That's known in God's Word. But the question is, can you understand this? Is this word really clear? And that's where we are today, the clarity of God's Word. Now, I wrestled and wrestled and wrestled for many, 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 many years whether I was called to be in full-time vocational ministry. It's much clearer looking back because I had 10 years in the business world And I was just, I didn't, I don't think I was running from it. I just couldn't get peace that God was calling me. And looking back on it, the clear main problem I had was I didn't know the word of God. And I just, I just don't know how God could be calling me to ministry when I really didn't feel like I knew the word of God very well and I was such an annoying person to be around for so many years trying to figure out God's will on that but one who heard it probably second most to my second to my wife was my brother and I and he you know and so one day he said to me okay why do you think you're called to this ministry when you don't even read your Bible I'm like shut up (laughs) excuse me I don't know how many kids are in here I said be quiet brother of mine And so I was really challenged to think about that. And that was one of the big hurdles for me. And so you know what I did to learn the Word of God? I remember my dad gave them to me for my birthday. Now, this was not like when I was a child. This was when I was a grown adult, about eight years in the business world, going into the ministry. And the way I learned the Word of God was I got about five books for my birthday, that my dad gave me. The first one was, they're probably out here on the bookstore. It was Grudem's Systematic Theology. No, it was the most elementary, basic child's Bible. Bible stories. Big pictures, thick pages, so that little fingers can turn the pages. That was the first one I read. I read it straight through and got the basic storyline of the Bible. Put that aside, and then I read the little elementary school bible went from preschool to elementary school i was a sharp student i was advancing quickly so i went through the elementary school bible read through that now there's good ones and there's not so good ones i'm sure there's better i should say there's better ones the ones we have out here are really good Because they tell you the storyline of the Bible. They have a good biblical theology. In other words, how Jesus is the main point of all stories. And and I just read through those. And then I took the next one, which was probably middle school or high school or whatever. Middle school Bible. Still kind of had a lot of big words. And I'm reading through that. And then I just started reading and just started reading. And, And that's the point. That's the point of today. The doctrine of the clarity of scriptures is you can understand this. That's the main point. You can understand this book. Yes, it's from God. Yes, God is beyond all imagination and all comprehensive, but you can understand this book. Kevin DeYoung states it this way. He says, ordinary people using ordinary means can accurately understand enough of what must be known, believed, and observed for them to be faithful Christians. In order to be faithful, God measures you according to this. And God says you can understand using ordinary means. Ordinary people can understand enough of what must be known and believed and observed to be faithful. And so that's what we're looking at. Wayne Grudem says this. He says the Bible is written in such a way that its teachings are able to be understood by all who will read it seeking God's help and being willing to follow it. So if you're a skeptic and you're like, yeah, hey, whatever, let me see, read this, and you come across some strange dominion and fear or with God, you know, I don't understand this, nobody can understand this. Okay, well, you're not sincerely seeking to know and understand and obey and believe what it says. But anyone who will sincerely seek to understand and obey and follow this, God will enable you to understand it. Amen. Now, that doesn't mean that it's, there's not hard parts. We've already laughed with with Peter in 2 Peter 3.16 who said, there are some things in Paul's writings that are hard to understand. And we all know he's talking about the book of Romans. And when you read Romans, it's just like, wow. So it doesn't mean it doesn't take work. It doesn't mean that you won't have to study and be diligent and research and read and think and talk and discuss within the community and, and find helpful resources. You will have to do that in some parts. But you can understand it. Maybe maybe you've thought like some who think, well, there's just so much about this that the Bible doesn't talk about. There's so many mysteries involved. And it says, yeah, well, that's not what God's intent was. God didn't say, I'm going to reveal every mystery known to man. I'm going to reveal every mystery of God. But he says, I'm going to reveal to you what I want you to know. In fact, Kevin DeYoung says there's three groups of people who do not accept This teaching on the clarity of God. There's three groups of people who dispute the doctrine of the clarity of God. The first is mystics. Mystics actually sound very religious, very noble, very sincere. They say, you know, God is just this big, magnificent God, and who can understand God? Now, when someone has that mindset, which sounds spiritual and sounds noble, who could ever dare understand God? How much do you think they open this book? They don't. It's another way of saying, no one can understand God, so I'm not going to read it. The other group he talks about are many dear friends of ours, family members of ours, and they're in the, of the Catholic faith. The Catholic official doctrine of the Catholic faith, and I mean no disrespect, no not slamming our friends and family who are Catholic, but we need to understand the differences of, of what we teach and what we believe about the Word of God, and you'll see that how it shows up in the way we handle it. The official teaching of the Catholic faith says that there are some parts of Scripture that are unclear and need to be explained or interpreted by the magisterium or the Pope and the bishops. And so the pope and the bishops and their interpretations becomes traditions of the church over years and so the word of god belongs in their hands and they interpret the meaning of it for the people. Whereas Protestant faith says, no, we have the spirit of God and we can understand the word of God. And so we say all the people should be reading and studying the word of God with all passion and pursuit of knowing God and his will as revealed in the scriptures. And, And I've heard it year after year. I hear it when our friends come in from other faiths and other denominations and they get a taste of the power of the word of God. And they say, wow. This is amazing. I've never had someone just stand there and explain the word of God to me. And then we say, now you can do it too. Go read it. Join our church and we'll study it together and see the impact that the word of God has on us. So the clarity of the word of God, this doctrine is vitally important. The final group are the pluralists. The pluralists are those people in our culture today, this is probably the most prevalent around the young people, among the young people of our age, that say, you know, nobody can know anything. Nobody can know what the right interpretation really is. I mean, you say that's right, you say it means this, I say it means that, you say it means that, but who's who's to know, how can anyone know what the right interpretation is? How can anyone know what this really means? This is Right there along the same lines of there is no absolute truth. Don't tell me what's right. Don't tell anybody what's right and wrong because we all just have to decide for ourselves what's right. So how can anyone say that that's what it really meant? And we say, no, God has enabled us through any rational mind that he gave us to be able to read the language that we can write and communicate in. And we can, using proper skills of interpretation, we can come to a conclusion as any rational thinking person and say, this is what he means. I mean, if I say walk through that door, you can't think I meant jump through the window. It doesn't matter how sincere you are. We all know that's what it means. And so the Bible is written in a language that we can understand. And the term veracity, I'm going to use some... $5 words today, but the term veracity just means the strength of the interpretation has higher veracity. The veracity of the interpretation is stronger with the better skill you have at doing proper interpretation. In other words, if you go in and just pull a word out and think, I'm going to make this word mean this, or I think Moses meant this, but you're not looking at what he wrote surrounding that you don't look at that sentence in the paragraph then you've used terrible interpretive skills and so the veracity of that argument is not strong so we understand that some interpretations are better than others they have a higher veracity and we may not agree but we all with rational minds can look at an interpretation and say yeah we all can conclude that's what it means and so the point is, if you are a mystic or if you are a pluralist and you just think God's just too big or nobody knows, what do you do? Put it on the shelf, and you don't know the Word of God. What a tragedy. What a tragedy that God wrote you a book. The creator of the universe wrote a book, had it preserved had it preserved in the language and in a way that you can access it. What a tragedy to never read what God said to you. So we want you to know today with great confidence that this is the Word of God and you can understand it so that you will read it, study it, memorize it, sing it, Live it, build your life on it, find hope in it, find perseverance and encouragement and strength. Find the light, of, the light of your life, the path of your life, all that the Word of God says about itself for you. So where are you today? What do you think about the Word of God? Are you more like the mystic who says, oh man, I, there's no way to grasp all this? Are you like the pluralist who says, who knows what's right or you like those who say, you're just a scholar. I mean, I just come and let you spoon feed me, but that's all I need. I can understand that because I'm pretty obviously a brilliant person. <laughs> Why are y'all laughing? That's what I tell my family. I'm like, that's not funny. So what we want you to come away from today is you can get this. And you should because it is well, well worth it. Father, would you help us this morning as we look at your word Would you help us to really believe that this word is not too hard, it's not too far off, it's not unreachable, but it is a huge, tremendous, glorious blessing for us so that we would read it, study it, learn it, and live it. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to basically look at one text today, one main text with a lot of other supporting texts, but that main text today is Deuteronomy 30. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30, and we're going to be looking at 11 through 14. Deuteronomy 30 verses 11 through 14. And as we work through this text, what you're going to be learning if you're observant about the process of working through this text is you're going to be learning how to rightly interpret a text. And so we're going to look at this text and see if we can get clarity I didn't choose the easiest text you could find. This one actually is challenging. And so I want you to see that you too, with a little skill, can understand difficult text. So here's what Moses writes in Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 14. He says, For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Look, Moses had the same issue that we have. He's telling his people, he's holding up his Bible, This is not too hard for you. You can do this. And neither is it far off. In verse 12, he says, It is not in heaven that you should say, Well, who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Verse 13, Neither is it beyond the sea that you would say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But, what does the word but mean? In contrast to that, the word is, Is very near you. It's not too hard. It's not too far off. But the word is very near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. Purpose statement. So that you can do it. See how grammar works? He's written a very clear statement. Now let's work through it and see What does this mean? In these verses, Moses gives us a basic statement or doctrinal statement of the clarity of scriptures. He says, you can do this. It's not too far off. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart so that you can do it. What does that mean? Let's look at it. So when we're trying to understand what a verse means, what must we do? We must examine the... Context. Yes, we're going to have a lot of interaction. Front row, just you, bro, and you're getting it right. That's what I'm talking about right there. So you examine the context. Now, to get the context, that simply means... Get the statement in the flow of the rest of the statement. So if I wrote you a love letter to my wife and I said all these things, she would not just lift one sentence out of it. She would see the whole flow to understand the whole meaning. So where is this verse, Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14? It's in the first part of your Bible. Genesis through Deuteronomy is the five-part unit. It was written by Moses. It was the very first Bible that was written. It's not like it's some old book that we don't care about anymore. In fact, it is the very nucleus of your Bible. This Bible is one book, and at the very heart of it is the nucleus of it, is the first five books of the Bible. And once that main core nucleus message was given, it was built upon. We'll see how that all flows out today. But what we see is Moses... What's the story of Moses? Well, we know uh, in Moses that God, first of all, Abraham and and Sarah had a child, right? That was a miraculous gift from God in that child. And then they had another one, and they had another one, and his name was changed to what? It's going to be a lot of interaction. Okay, so, so the child's name was changed who became a people, and his name was? Israel. So Israel became a massive people because he had all these children who had children, who had children, they're broken up and organized by 12 tribes, and then they end up enslaved and in bondage where? Egypt. Good. Students of the Bible. So they were enslaved in Egypt, and then God raised up a redeemer, a savior type person, a leader for his people, and that leader's name was? Moses, not Noah. One time I answered out loud in Sunday school class, Noah. And they're like, no, it's Moses. I'm like, doggone it. That's why I'm not going to be a preacher. (laughs) So Noah had the ark. Moses led the people, all right? We're on the same page. And so I'm not sure, but in first service, somebody in the back was cracking up. And I really think they said Noah. And I'm going to find them later and say, did you say Noah? Because I get it. So anyway, so Moses did what? The plagues and all that. We've seen the TV show. And so he led them across the Red Sea. Sea. Right, God parted the sea, led them across the sea. And then he went up the mountain into the heavens. And what did he get from God at the top of the mountain? Ten Commandments. Was written on parchment paper or what? Stone. So the Ten Commandments were written on stone. And then Moses took the word and brought it to the people of God. Now, all that, I could have phrased a whole lot more history, but I chose those because that's what's alluded to in this verse. So God saved his people. His redeemed, saved people were at the bottom of the mountain waiting for the word of God, and someone had to get it for them. Moses went across the sea and up into the heavens at the top of the mountain and came down with the word of God. And then he added to it instructions and more instructions and law, and he turned it into a book. The first five books of your Bible, the Pentateuch, was the first Bible. And he brought the Word of God to the people. And so when he got to the end of this book... In Deuteronomy, because you got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, he's just about to have God's people go into this land that God had promised to them, and they we call that it's this complicated term we call that the what land, promised land because God promised it to them, and so before he led them in, actually Joshua, Moses is about to die, and Joshua is about to take them into this land that God promised them. Josh Moses says, "Here's the book. Here's the Bible." Here's the word of God, and he says, now keep it, live it, live by it, because your success in the land is going to hinge on this word of God. And then in verse 29, he says this about the word of God. So we're going to see today's text is in verse chapter 30, but in the chapter before that in 29, Deuteronomy 29, 29, Moses says this, so we're leading up to our text to get in context. Moses says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed, they belong to us. And they belong to our children forever. Purpose statement, why? That we may do. All the words of this law. Isn't that incredible? It's like the mystic says, we can never understand God. You got that right. I can never fully understand all the mysteries of God. There are so many secrets, so many mysteries of God. He says those belong to God. He says, but this, this belongs to us. God revealed this to us. We should treasure this God, this this omniscient, omnipotent, oh God, he's just magnificent. He condescended himself to reveal himself to us. He belittled himself to our finite minds and spoke in a language that we could understand and had it written and composed and preserved and put into a book so that we could know him, that we could know his word, we could know his will. He could make us simple people wise unto salvation and glory. He says, this is for you. There's a lot that's not for you. But this is for you, and it's not just for you. It's for who else? Who else is this for? This is for you, and this is for your children. This is a cherished treasure. This is for you. Nobody else has this. I've given this to you and to your family, and for your kids, and for your grandkids, and for your great grandkids. Pass this down to your family because this is life and death. You see what Moses is saying? This is a treasure. Teach it to your kids. Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 and 7, at the beginning of this book that we're studying, this passage in Deuteronomy 6, Moses says, these words that I am giving you today, commanding you today, they shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. That covers it. When you sit, when you walk, when you lie, when you rise, talk about it, teach it, feed it to your kids, wear it in your heart, know it, believe it, live it. It should be oozing from you when your kids are playing football and and they're worried about failing. You teach them that's not who they are, that they are the children of God. Their identity is in Christ Christ. When they're rejected by a girlfriend or boyfriend, you tell them that's not who makes you. God loves you. Jesus loves you. That's where you find your value and your worth. When they feel like all is lost and they have no friends, you tell them Jesus never leaves you, never forsakes you. He has a great plan and purpose for your life. When you tell them that those friends at school, that's your mission field. Your life has an extraordinary purpose. You are to be God's ambassador at that school. You breathe the word of God to your children and you teach them this treasure generation after generation. God says, it is clear. It is to be understood. It is to be your life. As a matter of fact, it is so clear and so understandable that you can even teach it to your children and your grandchildren. Have you ever tried to teach the Word of God? Have you ever been back there? 80% of you go, yes, I have. you ever tried to teach the Word of God to a child? You better understand the text or you're going to be in a pretzel. And they're going to be going, huh? You have to understand the word of God. You have to understand that concept well enough to boil it down to very simple, clear concepts for a child. And he says, teach this to children. So implied in that command is the fact, you got this. You can understand this. You can know what it says, and you can boil it down and teach it to the children. And every year your children grow, they can understand it better, and they can understand it better. And every year you're teaching it to your children, you're growing, and you're understanding it better, and you're understanding it better. The beauty and glory of the Word of God is you can never sound the depths of the majesty of the Word of God. Every time you go deeper, you find more. And it's not new and different, it's just more glorious. That's the nature of the word of God. It's clear. God expects us to know what it says and do it. So Moses is saying, hey, it's not too hard. How many of you have just kind of copped out and said, you know what, it's just too hard. God's showing you right now, it is not too hard. We also see in verse 11, it's, it's not too far off. Look again at the verse 11. He says, for this commandment, That I command you today is not too hard. So we understand that point pretty clear. That was the easy part of the text, right? We said, okay, I see what he's saying. Using grammar, using interpretive skills, taking the context, Moses is saying it's not too hard. But then he goes on and says, neither is it far off. Now, this gets a little more challenging and requires some work and some study and some interpreting. What does he mean? It is not far off. Is he talking about this leather bound book is literally just close in proximity, sitting on my desk? I don't know. Let's see. Verse 12. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Okay, I'm already picking up on the expectation is, I want to hear it, I want to do it, But the problem of hearing and doing is not that it's hard or not that it's far off because no one should say, well, who will go to heaven and get it? And neither, verse 13, neither is it beyond the sea that you should say, well, who can go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Does that bring to light parts of the book of Deuteronomy? Who went across the sea and up the mountain to get the word of God for the people? Moses. And so Moses is saying, you don't have to have somebody go across the sea and go up the mountain and get the word of God that's on stone tablets for you. Instead, he says, but in contrast to that, verse 14, the word is very near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart so that you can do it. Now, as readers of the Word of God, if you've been reading the Word, you may not understand it at first, but you say, well, what is... The word of God is in my heart that I can do it. Where is that ringing a bell? I feel like I've heard this before. And you start finding the prophet Ezekiel and the prophet Jeremiah saying, Oh, we look forward to the day when the hearts will not be like stone, but the spirit of God will take the word of God and implant it in the heart so that you will obey God. That's called the new covenant. And so the old covenant, which a covenant is an agreement, the old relationship that God's people had with God was different than the new relationship God's people have with God. In the old relationship that God's people had with God, Israel had to have Moses go and get the commandments and the word of God and be the intercessor, the intermediator between God and them so that they could have God in their presence so they could know God's will. And it involved, as the story unfolds, the temple, the priest, the sacrificial system, and all of this. And so it was a glorious gift gift of God to come to his people and say I will be your God you can be my people you can know my will whether it's through a cloud or a fire or Moses or the commandments I'm revealing myself and my will to you but as you read the story of God you see that all of this pointed to and longed for a better way a better sacrifice who's that better sacrifice Jesus A better priest. Who's the better priest? Jesus. A better tabernacle. Who's the better tabernacle? A better everything. All of it pointed to Jesus. And Jesus shows up and says, it was all about me. And I offer you a new covenant. A covenant of my blood that was shed on the cross that that." intermediate that i brought god to man i brought man to god by faith in jesus christ we are made one with god It's a new relationship no longer under that old covenant in the new covenant we get christ he gives us credit for the righteousness of his own he gives us credit for his righteousness And so Jesus is the fulfillment of the scriptures. Jesus is the perfect revelation of God. Jesus says, I am the word of God. And so Jesus enables us to enter into a relationship with God in this new covenant. And the distinctive character of this new covenant relationship that we have with God is Two things, the Spirit of God, God himself, lives within us and he takes the word of God and he internalizes it so that he says, it's not too hard. It's not far off. That if you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, it's in your mouth. It's in your heart. You can understand this. You must understand this. So that's what Moses is saying. He's saying, listen to me. Now you're going, wait, Moses is talking. If you go back and read Deuteronomy 30, verse 1 and following this afternoon, you'll see the time shift that Moses goes through. He was talking about his day, and then he's talking about the future. And that shift happens, and we're in that shift. This verse is talking about our day where Moses is longing for the day, that after Jesus comes and fulfills the old covenant and brings us into the new covenant, that when those who are God's people, who are redeemed from our slavery to sin, which is pictured by Israel's slavery in Egypt, and as Moses is a picture of Jesus, the one who delivered them out of slavery, Jesus is the one who delivers us out of our slavery to sin. And as Moses went up to the heavens and across the sea to bring the word of God to his people, Jesus is the word of God who brings God to his people. And so the point is this, you got this. This is your life. This is life and death. This is the path of blessing. This is the will of God. How many of you have ever said, oh, I just wish I knew God's will for my life? God wrote you a book to tell you what he wants you to know, what he requires of you, what he expects of you, and what he has set you free to enjoy, the blessed life of faithfulness. And so as the story unfolds, to tell us the clarity of God's word is all throughout the scriptures. After Moses died, Joshua begins the historical books. Joshua judges. And we read in those historical books, Israel, the people of God, the rise and fall of Israel, right? Now when Israel was doing great, it was because they obeyed what? The word of God, the law. And when they were down in the doldrums and they were losing battles and they're... People were in chaos. It was because they forgot the word of God. And then you read in the historical books crazy stories, awesome stories about the significance of the word of God. Josiah's reform. They're literally like the people are in devastation. The country is destroyed. And they're up there sweeping the corners of the temple, the church. And some guy sweeping goes and says, huh, what's this? Brings it back to the priest and says, hey, what is this book? And they're like, oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. That's God's Word. And they start reading it. And reform and revival starts to happen. As the priest would help them understand the Word of God and make clear to them what it meant. That's what happens when we are with and studying and understanding and applying with all of our mistakes, doing our best to understand and apply and live the Word of God. And then Jesus, well, the prophets then came and said, hey... You've forgotten the word of God. Get back to the word of God or you're going to be exiled. And they didn't get back to the word of God and they were exiled. And so clearly the whole point is God has made his word clear and we are held accountable as a people to the word of God and life and blessing in the promised land and the enjoyment of all of God's blessings are contingent upon knowing and living the word of God. It's never never an excuse to say, I can't understand it. When Jesus shows up on the scene and the people were disobeying the word of God and he came to him, what did he say? Hey, you shouldn't do that. Why? Because, well, never mind. It's too hard. It's not what he says. Six times in the New Testament, Jesus says, have you not read? 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 What's the problem here? You hadn't read. That's what Jesus says. Is you haven't read. You're not living this. It's clear. It's not too hard. It's not far off. You're the people of God. you have the spirit of God. He has revealed this to you and to no one else. He says, pass this to your kids and to your grandkids and to your great-grandkids and to their kids. Be a people of the word of God. It's a blessing to know the word of God. In Deuteronomy 4, 5 through 8, Moses is talking to the people and he says what a blessing it is, how unique a gift it is. He says, see, I've taught you the statutes, the rules, the word of God. As the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. Keep them, do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the peoples who when they hear this word, when they hear these statutes say, Surely, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. But what nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us that whenever we call on him and when, what great nation is there that has the statutes and the rules so righteous as this law? That I set before you day. Modern translation to these young guys. You know what Moses just said? Who does that? Who does this? God did that? No other God claims to do that. No other religion does. God alone. who, Who does that? Who gives his people a Bible to know and to study and to have him so near to them? What an incredible, glorious Privilege that is. And then in 15, the verse after our text, Moses holds the Bible up to them and says, See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. It all hinges on what you do with this Bible. And you say, Well, that's good, but I'm just not the sharpest tack in the box, I'm not the brightest bulb either. Psalm 19, 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord, it's not about you. You're not perfect. He doesn't say, My people are perfect. My people can do this. He says, My word is perfect. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The simple. Understanding that the simple is the one who is prone to wander, prone to misunderstand and prone to make mistakes, but the one who has wisdom, the simple is made wise through the word of God. The one the book that we think is so hard to understand, God says this is what makes the simple wise. Psalm 119:130 the unfolding of your word gives light. That's like this idea of light on the path. It gives light, it It imparts understanding to the simple. God condescended to the simple to make us wise. Wise unto salvation. To revive the desperate soul. He gives hope. Whatever was written, Paul says in Romans 15.4, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance... Through the encouragement of the scriptures that we might have hope. This is how God encourages you. This is how God gives you hope. This is how God revives the soul. This is how God brings peace in the midst of anxiety. This is how God tells you everything you need to know. And you can do this. This is how we know anything that we talk about in here. This is how we know how to be saved. This is how we know that we are sinners. This is how we know how to be saved from the wrath of God that is due our sin. This is how we know there is wrath due our sin. That Jesus is our substitutionary sacrifice. He is our substitute on the cross. He absorbs the wrath of God that we may be declared righteous. Well, how do you know that? Well, in Romans 4.22, Paul says this. He says, This is why Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, quote, it was counted to him. That was not written for his sake alone, but it was for our sake. It will be counted to us who believe in him who were raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Did you see what he said there? He said, when you read about Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness, Paul says, that wasn't written for Abraham. That was written that we would know that Jesus makes us righteous. So the Word of God tells us everything that we need to know in life for faithfulness and godliness. Are you reading it? Do you believe it? Or are you coughing out? That's nah, too hard. Nobody can know what that means. Nah, how do I know He's right? God has made it clear. God has explained it in a language that we can understand. May we be a people who really understand and treasure this is God's word. Father God, we just pray that you'll make it true of us. May we study it. May we read it. May we memorize it. And Lord, I pray no one is overwhelmed as they think about starting. Maybe, maybe people all over the room are thinking, okay, yes, I need to do that, but where do I start? I pray that we will start with just doing one thing we haven't been doing. If we've been reading a little, maybe we start memorizing a verse. If we've been reading and we don't understand, may we ask someone to help us understand. Or we buy a book in the bookshelf here at the church that is... Going to do a faithful job of helping us understand. Don't know where to start reading. We get a, a reading plan. We start with the book of John. We read John 1, and we just read that chapter, believing and trusting that you will make it helpful. But Lord, the whole message is clear of the Bible that it is all about you, Jesus, that you are the Savior the fulfillment of scriptures, the one who forgives us of our sins, gives us life, blessing, meaningfulness, a path. But you give us your word. Who does that? We thank you for all that glorious blessing that is in the scriptures for us, for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray.